Hello, and welcome to Based on a True Story, the podcast that compares your favorite Hollywood movies with history. Today, we're going to be doing something a little different, because we're going to be learning about the 2012 fantasy horror movie, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. To help us separate fact from fiction in the movie, we'll be chatting with Dr. Brian Dirk, who is an author, historian, and professor at Anderson University. Before we connect with Dr. Dirk, though, let's set up our game, Two Truths and a Lie. If you're new to the show, here's how it works. I'm about to say three things. Two of them are true, and that means one of them is a lie. Are you ready? Okay, here they are. Number one, Abraham Lincoln was almost involved in a sword fight. Number two, Abraham Lincoln really was a vampire hunter. Number three, after his death, some drunk Irish counterfeiters tried to steal Lincoln's body. Got him? Okay, now as you're listening to the story today, your challenge is to find the two facts scattered somewhere throughout the episode. And by a simple process of elimination, you'll be able to find out which one is a lie. And of course, we'll do a recap at the end of the episode to see how well you did. All right, now it's time to chat with Dr. Brian Dirk about the historical accuracy of Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. All right, let's kick this off by addressing the elephant in the room, or in this case, the vampires in the movie. <laughs> As a historian, what was your initial reaction to a movie about Lincoln and vampires? Yeah, well, you know, when the, when the movie came out in 2012, I've got students who are like, Dr. Dirk, this is so cool. They're going to make him into a vampire. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I yeah, I, like, I got to admit, I was just like, okay what the heck you know i had never heard of the novels or anything like that so yeah i mean my original reaction is uh yeah we're 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 reaching for story ideas here aren't we and i i think honestly i had no idea what exactly they were doing i actually thought it was originally going to be some kind of black comedy or something like that it sounded like that kind of thing you know yeah, yeah, a real dark comedy type. <laughs> I can yeah, see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, obviously, it's, uh, the, there's the vampire aspect to it. But if you were to give this movie kind of a letter grade for historical accuracy, how would it do? <laughs> Other than the vampire, <laughs> I feel like for a movie like this, we have to just be like, okay, there's vampires, but the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, well, but you know, the funny thing is, I actually like googled uh, just to see what would happen when I typed in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. And there are serious websites to say, question, was Lincoln a vampire hunter? No, he was not. I was like, really, guys? We have to actually take this that seriously. You know? So, you know what? Um, whoever, I mean, as I understand it, the author of the novel was also the producer of the show. So he oversaw the script. I got to give this guy credit. He did his homework. I mean, he's just, he, there's very little in here other than the vampires that he's making up out of whole pop. I mean, the pe- most of the people are real people. Uh, most of the events are real events. As a Lincoln scholar, it's kind of fun to watch it because you're kind of going, oh, wow, check out what they're doing with speed. I mean, that's kind of cre- creepy, but whatever, you know. So, you know, at the end of the day, I was actually a little impressed with the homework he had done and actually looking up stuff that actually did exist. I feel like, yeah, you have to have, okay, there's vampires, but then the rest of it... <laughs> has to have some believability to it. It sounds like they he, they did a pretty good job considering. Not bad, not bad. I mean, they even pulled in some um, relatively unknown people like uh, Wayne Johnson, the primary uh, black character, was a real person. Um, he actually was Lincoln's valet, uh, uh, a man that he seems to have met in Springfield and brought with him to Washington, D.C. I mean, he's a real guy. And, of course, so was uh, Joshua Speed. I mean, yeah, I mean, these were real people for the most part. Well, if we dig into some of the details in the movie, it starts by uh, kind of setting some context for what we're going to see. The date that we see on the movie is April 14th, 1865. We hear Lincoln's voiceover in the letter. And I actually jotted this down. I want to quote this from the movie because it's it was interesting to me just the way it's phrased. It says, quote, history prefers legends to men. It prefers nobility to brutality, soaring speeches to quiet deeds. History remembers the battle and forgets the blood. Whatever history remembers of me if it remembers anything at all, it shall be only a fraction of the truth. For whatever else I am, I'm a husband, a lawyer, a president, 
I shall always think of myself as a man who struggled against darkness. I leave in your trusted hands, my dear friend Henry, this record that begins when I was just a boy. That's the end quote. And then it goes to Pigeon Creek, Indiana in 1818. So we'll chat about kind of what happens there in a moment. But from a historical perspective, does this sound like a letter that Lincoln could have written? And with all the things that he did accomplish, did he always see himself as somebody who was struggling against darkness? You know, it's plausible. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there were a lot of people that knew Lincoln who commented on his melancholy um, on um, there, there, there were some believed he tended to be a bit obsessive about dark things. His, his taste in poetry was quite dark. Um, his, his taste in uh, Shakespeare plays, he tended towards the kind of the, the, the bloody dark ones, you know? Um, I mean, that's not implausible that he, especially after say around the mid 1850s, when, as if you study his speeches at the time, he sees the slave power conspiracy that seems to be overwhelming American democracy as a very dark thing. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I could get on board with that. And in fact, when I was watching the film, I was listening to that, that, that monologue, because, you know, it opens up with him writing that and actually a really beautifully filmed scene of him writing it in D.C. And I was like, you know, I, he didn't write that, but I could see it. In that monologue where they refer to, you know, struggling against darkness, which, of course, the movie is referring to a very different type of darkness, but the way that it's it's written, that's why I wanted to ask about it, because there was a lot of dark things that were going on during that time. I mean, it's the war, right? So. God, God, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, you know, um, you know, Lincoln's own struggles with uh, the deaths of many of his loved ones. Um, the, 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 the level of dying during the civil war made that whole period horribly dark. I mean, and you know, I mean, when, when Lincoln was worried about the darkness and the evil that was slavery and Lincoln never, ever said one kind thing about slavery, that was a darkness as well. And if you look at where the country was at in 1860, there was a genuine possibility that, as Lincoln put it, slavery could become national and freedom local. So, yep, absolutely, there's a lot of darkness. Absolutely. You mentioned his name, and at the beginning of the movie, we see a young Abraham Lincoln trying to protect his friend, Will Johnson. Uh, he's being beaten. Will is being beaten and taken away by a slave trader, and Abraham intervenes, but then his father, Thomas Lincoln, gets involved and punches the guy who's whipping Will and Abraham, and then out comes Mr. Bartz, who apparently... We learned from the movie Thomas Lincoln is working for to pay off some sort of a debt. And because Thomas Lincoln can't pay what he owes immediately, Mr. Bart says, oh, there's other ways to collect the debt. And then later that we find out that, of course, Mr. Bart is a vampire, comes to Lincoln's home and bites Abe's mother and she gets sick and and dies soon thereafter. Uh, And then the movie very briefly and very quickly just mentions that Thomas Lincoln dies nine years later. And that's how the movie sets up that Abraham Lincoln doesn't have any parents and he has this desire to become well a vampire hunter to seek vengeance. Is there any truth to those plot points that we see around Lincoln's parents and how they died? Yeah, first of all, I, I guess I gotta stop laughing whenever you say vampires. It's just every time you say well, I'm yeah, no, no, um, well, you know, but again, this is one of those examples of obviously the uh, screenwriters and you know, slash author looked into into the genuine um, circumstances of of Lincoln's early life. Um, his mother did, in fact, die when he was quite young um, of, of, uh, of a, a poisoning, accidental poisoning from something called the milk sickness, where she drank uh, a poisoned milk. Uh, there's a plant that a cow might eat that had a poison called Tremetol in it, and she accidentally drank it along with about a dozen other people in the neighborhood, and then she spent a week dying. It's, to tell you the truth, uh, the way she died was a lot worse than what was in the movie, you know? I mean, really bad. Yeah. Um, as far as his father is concerned, uh, Thomas, I mean, yeah, he had debt and he had financial problems and, you know, he was, I, I, Thomas wasn't a bad man. He was just kind of hapless, you know, and he ended up stumbling into bad financial setups. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, he did die nine years later, although it was just a, a peaceful death. He just, he died of disease in Illinois. So there's that. Um, and they were taking some liberties with William Johnson. Uh, yes, he did exist, but we don't think Lincoln knew him that far back. We think Lincoln met him in Springfield, 
Uh, we don't know how, you know, but uh, there's that as well. But so for, it sounds like the the way that they died, at least the way that, according to the, the movie, portraying almost, you know, Mrs. Lincoln dying as much more of a shock and more of a, you know, unexpected death as opposed to they don't even show how Thomas Lincoln dies. They just, oh, he dies nine years later. So it's but it sounds like in that way, at least they're sort of going down the, the same the right path. Yeah, they are. I mean, they really are. And, 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 you know, setting aside the elephant in the room, uh, if you move the vampires out of the way, um, yeah, I mean, um, that was a very traumatic experience, probably for Lincoln, although we don't have a lot of records that really tell us how he reacted, but the, but, but he lost his mother when he was very young and that had to be, uh, I, I thought, I thought again, the, the film did a nice job of portraying just the shock and the, uh, the nastiness of death on the frontier in that time period. The weather's getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. Access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. True story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. Earlier, I mentioned the name Henry. It's in the opening monologue, and um, that's who Abe was writing the letter to, and the full name being Henry Sturgis. According to the movie, Henry is both a vampire seeking his own revenge against other vampires, uh, but he's also a very good friend of Abraham Lincoln. Did Lincoln actually have any friends named Henry Sturgis? You know, I, I know. Um, it's, I mean, I, I actually look. I, I couldn't think of anyone of that name, so I actually went digging around at some things. Um, my my guess, and I have to see what the um, what the author was thinking, but I my guess is he's kind of a composite of um, several friends, possibly of Lincoln's at that time. Um, I I kind of thought of uh, uh, Ward Hill Lambert actually, who was a fellow lawyer. Um, who, um, who, by the way, was um, subject of his own movie about Lincoln, um, about him acting as his body. There's always movies about Lincoln, but my guess, my guess is, this is a uh, a, a modification of Lamon, who was a lifelong friend of Lincoln's. If I had to guess, okay, yeah, because in the movie Henry is kind of Abe's mentor. So would he have been Lincoln's mentor in, in real life, uh, Lamon? Well, no, not really. Um, um, yeah, I think the movie kind of had to make that relationship look the way it did for the vampire plot. Lincoln had men you could call mentors. Um, there were a couple of older men um, living in uh, the village he lived in growing up that kind of gave him books and loaned him things and taught him things. Um, and then there were a couple of uh, older lawyers on the circuit who acted as mentors. So again, my guess is that this Henry is kind of a composite of all of that, you know, um, you know, men who were showing this guy the way that's, that's my guess. That makes sense. Makes sense. Now in, in the movie, once Henry starts training Abe to kill vampires, Abe picks up his weapon of choice. He says he was never good with as the movie uh, says, you know, quote, shooting irons, or, um, but he was a rail splitter. So he picks up an ax is there any historical reason why Lincoln would pick up an axe as a weapon of choice? Well, actually, there kind of is. Um, when he was a small boy, um, Lincoln was, they were living in like a, a, a kind of a really, really primitive cabin in Indiana while they were establishing more permanent quarters. And his dad and his cousin, a named John Hanks, were, were, were Dr. Dennis Hanks, was, was out, were out hunting. And there was a big wild turkey that flew by the cabin. It was just him and his mother. And I think he's really young. I mean, he's like 
I forget the exact age, like seven or eight. And his mom thinks, oh man, there's dinner. Okay. So she hands a gun to Lincoln. He gets up and draws a bead and kills the, and kills the turkey and hits it. And, um, well, Lincoln actually later expressed something to the effect of, I accidentally hit the darn thing and killed it. And then he, and he literally brags in one of his autobiographies, um, I've never pulled the trigger again on any such game. So that's apparently, uh, the last time he actually shot at something live, you know, he, so yeah, there's something to that. I mean, he doesn't seem to have owned any guns that I know of. Um, or nor was he into that kind of shooting thing. I found that rather plausible. He seems not to have liked hunting at all. And um, the one time he almost got himself into a duel was with swords, not guns. So I, I can kind of see it. I, I This is not shown in the movie at all, but how do you get into a duel with swords? I don't remember that story from Lincoln. <laughs> well, one, one of the best. Uh, Lincoln and we, we think this was actually Barry Lincoln who wrote these really nasty political letters to a local, uh, Springfield newspaper about a guy named James Speed or not James Speed. I'm sorry. Uh, James Shields and, uh, James Shields got really mad and, um, threatened the editor about finding out about it. And, um, we think that Lincoln stepped up to protect Mary and they, they got into a back and forth to the point where, um, you know, they, they were going to have a duel. I mean, they, they were, they were, they, they were at that, that point. And, um, they, Lincoln was in the position where he got to choose the weapons and he chose broadswords. If it, if you can imagine Abraham Lincoln as like Eric or ah, I go ask somebody, you know, but, um, they, they were going to do it. They were actually going to do it. Um, and Lincoln was practicing and all that. And then, uh, kind of cooler hits failed and it never actually happened and lincoln found the whole thing really embarrassing and when a union officer brought it up during the war and said hey mr president i heard you once got into a duel lincoln said something effective yeah i need to shut up or you or, 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 or we're gonna have a real problem here it really bothered you mentioned that he was uh, training for the duel, and that kind of leads right into my next question, because we see the sequence of uh lincoln training with the axe <laughs> did he do fighting training like that Pretty sweet too. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I was like, "Oh wow, that looks pretty cool." You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in real life, uh, Lincoln was an accomplished wrestler, uh, a very good one, and uh, most of the eyewitness accounts that saw him most of this, he's very athletic. But if, if we go back to the movie, we mentioned him before. Lincoln gets a room with a man named Speed in Springfield uh, in exchange for Lincoln helping around Speed's store. And that's where, according to the movie, Lincoln meets Mary Todd for the first time. Is that really how Mary Todd and Abraham Lincoln really met? We honestly don't know exactly how they met. Uh, it's certainly plausible. Um, there are stories. Um, my favorite story, and we're not sure if this is true or not, is that they met at a dance at Springfield where Lincoln's standing in the corner looking all nervous. And Mary walks over and says, who are you and what do you want? And he says, I want to dance with you in the worst way. And they go and dance. They get done. And Mary says to him, hey, you know what? We did dance in the worst way. But don't boom, boom. You know, I, I, my, my students love that little anecdote, you know. Um, but honestly, it's plausible. You know, this is a good example of a fiction writer finding one of those empty spaces in the record where you could fill in something that certainly could have happened possibly because Mary was living in Springfield. What about speed? Was that how Lincoln met speed? Since you mentioned he was a real person. That, that was actually one of the more accurate scenes. Um, in real life, uh, Lincoln had relocated from New Salem to Springfield. Um, he had just gotten his law license, but he, he, he was getting out of New Salem, this village that was already dying because of, various problems he goes to springfield he's got very little money he just sort of wanders into speed store said pretty much pretty much what what the the movie said and um speed offers him a room and he moves in so yeah it actually is pretty much likely how they met huh wow okay <laughs> yeah that's that's fascinating <laughs> Uh, there is a, a scene in the movie where Abe tells Mary that every night he hunts vampires and then she just laughs it off. Of course, you know, it, it makes a joke that huh, maybe Abe isn't so honest after all. <laughs> As I was watching that, uh, it, it actually made me think of a, a different movie completely. It's something where Alfred says to Bruce Wayne in, in Batman Begins, Alfred tells Bruce that uh, he's going to have to come up with some sort of a public excuse for why he's getting all these cuts and bruises so no one suspects that he's Batman. Now, if we were to go along with the concept in the movie that Abraham Lincoln was moonlighting as a vampire hunter, 
do we know if the real Abraham Lincoln ever had any sort of unexplained cuts, bruises, or anything else that he tried to keep out of the public eye? Boy, you know, I, I, that's a great question. I've never heard of anything like that myself. Now, I do know that um, when he was young, he was kicked in the head by a horse. And he later said, I was killed for a time. Apparently, he knocked him out cold. And um, if you look closely at, I've, I've got in my office a, um, a life mask that was actually made of Lincoln. You can kind of see where that little dent is at, where this horse whacked him real good, you know. Um, but, you know, otherwise, um, you know, he was thought of as a remarkably athletic president. I mean, you know, first of all, he wasn't that old. I mean, he was 56. I'm, I'm 56. So it doesn't strike me as old as all, you know, but he was, he was actually, um, when he, when he was laying in his, um, deathbed, basically after he'd been shot and they undressed him to, to look for more wounds and stuff, uh, several people remarked on how athletic he looked and how basically toned and ripped his body was. Well, I guess, you know, I've, I've seen those pictures of, you know, when he became president and then after, I guess he just, I mean, he it seemed to have aged a lot because, I mean, he went through a lot. I mean, there was a lot of stress. <laughs> God, yes. Uh, you know, who who would ever want to be president? That job kills people. If you look at the, before, I mean, I'm for real, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he looks much older, but I, yeah, they, they said that he was very physically fit all the way up to the day. There's another scene in the movie I want to ask you about with Mary Todd, and uh, she takes off Abe's top hat at one point and stands on it so that she's tall enough to kiss him. What about their height difference? Did she ever, I mean, at first that top hat had to have been pretty supportive to be able to support somebody standing on it. <laughs> but you know, did it have that height difference? God, yes. Uh, Lincoln is what, six foot three. And I think, I, I mean, my memory is fuzzy. I think she was like five, two, five, two, something like that. Um, and as a matter of fact, when um, they were doing the uh, the train, the train was traveling from uh, Springfield, Illinois to uh, Washington, D.C. to for become president. Um, he, he would bring Mary out onto the back of the train and he would tell the crowd, now you get to see the long and the short of it, you know, I mean, okay, yeah, whatever, you know? So yeah, uh, apparently there people remarked upon, they just, they were just an odd couple that way. <laughs> and and he, but at least they had a good sense of humor about it. It sounds like. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, 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 hope, I hope Mary cracked a joke about that. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Well, according to the movie, one night after finding out that Henry Sturgis is a vampire, Abe heads back to the shop where he works to find Mary there looking for him, and he proposes to her right there in the shop. Is that really how Abraham Lincoln proposed to Mary Todd? <laughs> no, there's a story, okay? Uh, uh, no, uh, no, not all. Um, basically, he had been keeping company with her, and back in those days, uh this is going to scare the heck out of every male listener to your podcast. If you spend more than three or four dates out with a woman, you better start printing the invitations, okay? Because you made a commitment. And somebody pointed that out to Abe. They said, okay, when you guys get married? And then Lincoln's like, are you going to be fine? So he, he goes over to her, she's living with her sister, and he goes over to her house. And we don't know what they said, but it was something to the effect that Mary, it ain't going to happen. And Mary being Mary, uh, she didn't take that well, okay? And apparently he ran out of the house had what amounted to an emotional collapse for the next few days. Um, Speed later claimed, quote, we had to take sharp things out of the room to fear that he hurt himself, that kind of stuff. And then after a few days, Speed says, he goes to Abe and Abe kind of sighs and says, well, Speed, I guess I'm just going to have to marry that girl. There's a lot of matrimonial enthusiasm there, let me tell you. And uh, then he goes back to the house. And from, we don't know the details, but from what we understand, uh, Mary's sister, um, Elizabeth, who Lincoln also knew, uh, kind of affected the reconciliation, kind of brought them together and said, come on, guys, let's just, let's just deal with this. So he must have proposed to her somewhere in there, but it wasn't anything like what the movie was pointing out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> real, it, sound, it sounds real enthusiastic about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, one, one story has it that, and this may or may not be true, but one story has it that he was on his way to his wedding. They got married um, in, in, in Elizabeth's house, and he's all dressed up, and he's hardly dressed up. And one of his friends sees him all dressed up, and he goes to Lincoln and he says, Geez, Abe, what, what, why are you dressed? Where are you going? According to this guy, he said, To hell, I suppose. And then she was like, Whoa. <laughs> you know, but, now, that may not be true, but that's, I love that story. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, the, the movie suggests that one of the reasons why Abe 
gets into politics to take on slavery is not necessarily for how evil slavery is, but because it's what the vampires are using to feed their hordes and slowly take over the country. And then he decides to put down the axe, not fight with the axe, but fight with words and ideals. What were the reasons that Lincoln actually wanted to get into politics, if not vampires? <laughs> That's a good question. Boy, we, we, we only have an hour here? What the heck? Um, wow. Um, you know what? Uh, it's like I always tell my, my students, um, there's never any one reason for anything in history. You know, um, part of it is just personal ambition. Um, you know, um, you know, his law partner, Billy Herndon later said Lincoln's quote, ambition was an engine that do no rest. I mean, he's much more ambitious than maybe you know, we have this aw shucks rail splitter image of the guy, but he's actually a shrewd lawyer who wants a political career. Now it didn't go all that well, comparatively speaking until he became president, but part of it's ambition. Part of it is moral conviction. Um, he later himself, he got out of politics for a while. Um, he, he, he had not done well when he went to the one term in Congress, comes home and says to heck with this, becomes a, goes, focuses on his family, focuses on his law practice. And he later said this himself. He said, I was done. I was retired until I heard the news that they were planning on reintroducing slavery into the Western territories. And I was so shocked I had to get involved. So there's, there's moral conviction to get back involved in slavery. So I'd say those two things kind of go hand in hand. He genuinely feared that slavery, which he was convinced was on its way to extinction, had been given new life by people like Stephen Douglas, and he was really mad about it. Okay, so slavery did play a big part into his, his, his other than just, you know, his own ambitions. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. We, we talked about uh, Abe's mother and how she died, and there's a scene in the movie where one of the vampires gets into the Lincoln household. They're in the White House, so he, he's president then, and, and the vampire bites Willie. Um, and then he gets sick and the doctors are befuddled. He, they don't know what's ailing him, but the age, you know, he looks and he immediately recognizes the wound on the arm as some, the same thing that happened to his mother. How did the movie do showing the way that William Lincoln died? Well, I mean, yeah, obviously he wasn't bitten by a vampire. Okay. Uh, but, uh, again, it's like the entire movie. Uh, they just sort of pick and choose kernels of truth and build their narrative around it and and in fact um abraham lincoln was one of only two presidents to lose a child in the white house uh the other if you're wondering was jfk uh, uh jackie had a miscarriage during when they so there's that um so th- yeah willie did did genuinely die in the white house in 1862 um where and as a matter of fact we're not entirely sure how he died the best theory is um typhoid that he had, he drank some some tainted water um and by the way his little brother tad who doesn't even show up in the movie and he had two young boys living in the white house the other one was tad uh tad got sick too and he almost died uh but willie did die um and i, I, I thought he did a, a, a passable job with the grief uh mary was shattered uh much more so than she was in the movie the movie shows her being you know, quite upset in real life, Mary teetered on the edge of insanity. Um, she was so upset. Um, as a matter of fact, Lincoln had to threaten to put her in the Washington, D.C. lunatic asylum if she didn't calm down. It was that bad. Um, and the people that knew Lincoln knew that he, he, was, he was shaky as well. So they, they didn't do a bad job with that, actually. Other than the vampires. <laughs> well, other than the vampires, yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like it, there was... The movie kind of has a correlation between the way that William died and the way that uh, Abe's mother died. And it sounds like they really like Abe's mother really died by tainted milk <laughs> and then tainted water. It sounds like there was some sort of a correlation almost. Hard to get a sexy action movie out of dying from tainted milk and tainted water, though, right? <laughs> well, in the movie, after William dies, Abe refuses to let Henry turn William into a vampire to save him, even though Mary wants him to. Uh, and then she apparently read Abe's secret journal, so she knows what's really going on. And according to the movie, then she blames Abe for William's death. Did she really blame her husband for William's death? Yeah, boy, you know, um, right offhand, and I've, I've, I've read a whole book on Lincoln and dying, and I've seen most of the, most of the reliable sources on this. I've never seen anything like that. Um, I, I, I never, I, Mary blamed herself actually. Um, she seems to have felt 
that um because willie willie lingered for a long time before he died he was sick and he'd get better then he'd get worse and he'd get better then he'd get worse and the lincolns didn't know what to do um sometimes they canceled appointments sometimes they didn't because after all he's president and they got to do what they got to do but after he died uh, mary writes in a letter she's like I think we were too ambitious and I should have stayed closer to him. Oh my God, what was I thinking? And she actually gave sort of a religious, you know, God is punishing us for our pride, but it wasn't particularly pointing the finger at, 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 at her husband. It was more like a general, Hey, you know what? We should have seen that he was much worse off than he actually was. And she beat herself up over that. I mean, I could see that with, with any sort of a loss, it, you, you, those scenes just start to replay in your head, and it sounds like she, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's you know, it was, I it, personally, um, I'm more sympathetic to Mary than many people, and I've got to tell you, I my favorite part of this movie was Mary, you know, of the whole thing. I, I thought it did a, a, I, I mean, in the context of the whole vampire story, I, I, I like what they did with her. She was, she wasn't, she wasn't, I mean, other movies have her like teetering on the balance of insanity, entire thing. I don't know. I, and I do think she did descend in some major mental instability eventually, but I like what they did with her. Well, near the end of the movie, the entire war tilts on the balance of Gettysburg. And after a disastrous first day where the vampires enter the war on the side of the Confederacy, they just, you know, roll over everybody. Uh, then Abe sends a train full of, of course, they're vampires, so silver plated weapons. Uh, unfortunately, Speed gave up the location of the train. So the so a fight ensues, and then our heroic vampire hunter Abraham Lincoln fights off the vampires. So the train makes it to the destination, saves the day, and the nation. Was there ever a moment like this where the entire war hung in the balance and Abraham Lincoln himself saved the day? No, no, I, I no, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, while you're at it, with that 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 battle scenes, the battle scenes from Gettysburg were pretty cool. I I think did a really nice job. But that one opening scene of Gettysburg. I was thinking, man, you know what? I could I could crib this and use this in my class. And they morph into vampires. I go, oh, well, fine, you know. But um, yeah, I, I, I as 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 a as an historian studies this stuff, like most historians, I I don't I don't see like one pivotal moment, even at Gettysburg. Gettysburg is important, okay? But the history doesn't work that way. They, 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 this this is a process, you know. Um, Frankly, what I think they did, I've not read the novel again. I don't know what they did in the novel, but in a movie, you got to tell a story in a very short period of time. If you're going to have, if you're going to have a climactic moment, that makes sense. I can't think of any other climactic moment you would do. So I see it from a storytelling point of view, but in reality, it was much messier than that. That makes sense. And yeah, in the movie, we, they don't really show a lot of the actual battles of, in, in the war. It's just, well, just snippets. Yeah. Yeah, just little snippets. Gettysburg is the one that we see the most of. And it sounds like, other than the vampires, that's always going to be the, <laughs> the catch. <laughs> well, I, like I said, I, mean, I, I actually liked those scenes. I was like, man, they put some work into this, you know? I mean, I, I, I actually thought they did a pretty decent job with that. The way the movie wraps up, the the train that Abe is on is, is a decoy. And there's a brief scene earlier in the movie after uh, fighting off a ballroom filled of vampires to rescue his friend Will, Abe and Speed make their way back north thanks to Harriet Tubman. Then we see Mary Lincoln meet with Harriet Tubman again as she's trying to get out of Washington. At the very end of the movie, we find out, as Will puts it, the train isn't the only railroad. And so as moviegoers, we can put two and two together that Lincoln used Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad to deliver the silver to turn around the Battle of Gettysburg and, of course, by extension, the war. Did the Lincolns ever meet Harriet Tubman or use the Underground Railroad to deliver weapons? Uh, no to both. Okay. Um, actually, Lincoln did meet uh, several prominent um, leaders in the abolitionist movement. Um, most famously, he met uh, Frederick Douglass three separate occasions. Um, he met Sojourner Truth, who was another um, African-American woman abolitionist. Um, but we, Harriet Tubman, uh, she never met him. As a matter of fact, Harriet Tubman was not a Lincoln fan. She thought that Lincoln waited too long before he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, and she was highly suspect of his motives. She thought that he was doing it mostly to get you know black men to serve as cannon fodder. So she didn't have a positive view of Lincoln at all. And as far as Underground Railroad is concerned, uh, you know, the Underground Railroad, while very important and very interesting, can can be exaggerated. Um, and plus, it's really 
really tough to track down sources because after all, helping a fugitive slave up until 1863 was a federal felony. So you don't go writing down records, you know, about this. Um, I, I, you know what, I've never seen now, maybe there's something out there somewhere, but I've never seen a, um, a reliable source in which Lincoln even really acknowledges the existence of the underground railroad. Now, as a lawyer, he did defend several people who were accused of, of breaking the law by helping slaves to their, to their freedom. So he did get involved that way. But other than that, not really, no. But that would have been as a lawyer before he got into to politics, right? We're waiting for the war. Yeah. Yeah. During, during the war, I mean, again, I mean, I'm just, you know, using my, my adult 56 year old memory here, maybe there's a reference someplace in the records where he mentions the underground river, but if there is, I don't, I'm not, I don't remember it right offhand. I want to ask about one of the kind of the concepts that the movie has. Of course, again, the movie's using vampires supporting the Confederates. But as I was watching that, I couldn't help but think of there's you know, modern day conspiracy theories about how there are secret groups controlling political and mil- military agendas. And so the movie using vampires to do this. But of course, there I'm just curious, were there any sort of conspiracies or anything of any sort of controlling group behind the Confederacy that was using this political and, and military as a for their own purposes? Nah, I, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you what, go find crazy uncle Ed's YouTube channel. And I'm sure he's got a theory. Okay. You know, I mean, yeah, it was all those guys, you know, that kind of thing. No, well, I mean, the Confederacy was a, uh, like sort of a messy coalition of, um, you know, diehard slaveholders, uh, others who were slaveholders, but they really wanted independence more. Uh, and, and there was much more opposition, to the Confederacy than we are led to believe. If you go look at the actual records of four years during the war, there's tons of Southerners who think this is a terrible idea, especially poorer Southerners who had to bear the brunt of the fighting. In fact, you can make a pretty good case that Confederate nationalism wasn't even viable during the war. And I mean, you can get into a real argument about this, but there's a, there's an argument to be made that Confederate nationalism was so weak that contributed to their collapse. People just weren't committed to the cause. So not only was there not some kind of conspiracy, even upfront Confederates didn't know what exactly they were trying to do sometimes. Absolutely. Well, so that, that leads to a, a question then I have about the, the goal in the movie. Again, they're va- vampires, but they want to take over the entire country. It sounds like, did the Confederacy want to take over the entire country or did they just essentially want to keep the, the territories that they had and what they had? status quo essentially you know i gotta be i was watching this movie i was thinking in the back of my head god it sucks being a confederate these days doesn't it they pull down your statues they accuse you of doing all kinds of bad crap you know it's just it's not fun being confederate in 2022 but yeah um not really no um the can the confederacy now i'm talking confederacy now pre-war south that's a different story um you could you could find people who were making arguments for making slavery a national institution but they weren't very large in number, and even most mainstream Southerners thought that's nuts, okay? The Confederacy itself, I mean, Jefferson Davis says from the very beginning of the war, he says, we just want to be left alone. Uh, In his first inaugural address, he says, look, we can be friends here. Why don't we start setting up uh, trade relations like we're two sovereign countries, which we are? Uh, As a matter of fact, it was highly controversial uh, that Robert E. Lee invaded the North twice, uh, you know, for the Battle of Antietam in Maryland. You're trying to get to Pennsylvania and then get in Gettysburg because a lot of people are saying, look, we're not into trying to invade the North. Okay. We're just trying to be left alone. Um, so no, there was, there was never a serious consideration that, Hey man, we want to go take over this whole bloody thing. You know, as a matter of fact, if anything, a lot of Confederates really wanted to go the other direction, establish their nation and they go conquer Cuba and go conquer the Bahamas and go conquer parts of Central America and turn that into a vast slave empire. But they wanted to go that way. Not that way, you know, down, not up. So in that in that sequence at, at the end, Abraham Lincoln had a, a silver tipped axe that doubled as a shotgun in the handle. Was that sort of technology even possible in that time period? I've never heard of that. I, I, I thought that's a cool idea. I got to patent that sucker, you know, I mean, it seemed like something from like a spy museum. <laughs> yeah, you know, you see weird weapons from the Civil War. Like I, I saw a picture one time of a Confederate soldier holding a single shot derringer with a bayonet attached to the bottom of the barrel. Like, dude, what are you going to do with that? You know, I mean, you're going to stab somebody with a pistol. You know I mean? You fall- 
I was going to say, Derringer's a pistol, right? Unless they... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a pistol with a pin. Yeah, it's like, well, what do you think you're going to do with that? You know, so no, I... But you know, you never know. I mean, they had just all kinds of weird ideas back then about, hey, we could win war for you. I don't know, attach a shotgun to an axe hand. Oh boy, you know, that kind of thing. So you, you might be surprised. There might have been somebody out there that came up with some crazy idea. I mean, look what that... I mean, the Confederacy built a submarine for heaven's sake, and the sucker actually worked well, sort of until killed everybody in it. But still, you know, at, at the end of the day, though, they, 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 especially the Confederacy got desperate, you know, and we're starting to come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. This isn't shown in, in the movie at all, but at the, at the very end of the book, I, I, I read the book, uh, you know, a, a while ago, and um, we find out that at the end, Henry actually turned Lincoln into a vampire so that they can t- continue to fight evil together. And so it, the end of the book is kind of like modern day and, and you, they're both there. Were there any theories that Lincoln didn't actually die after being shot by Booth? Like the movie kind of the movie kind of suggests it, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. The whole bar scene. And I, 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 I haven't read the novel, but I did read that they had him listen to the I Have a Dream speech as a vampire in three or whatever. Um, I don't know of any rumors that Lincoln survived. Most of the, you know, cray cray rumors about Lincoln centered around Booth. And there were all these rumors going well into the 20th century that he actually wasn't shot in that barn, in, you know, later, which, you know, he was shot by a guy named Boft Corbett and surrounded all that. Uh, you can find most today, man. There's, there's a, there's these rumors that he actually died on a barroom floor in Texas in 1902 or stuff. Uh, most serious historians dismiss that stuff out of hand. And of course there are all these assassination theories back then. Uh, my personal favorite is that the Pope off to Lincoln because he's mad about something. I kind of like that one myself, you know, but oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There, 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 go, go look it up. There are all kinds of funky conspiracy theories about the Lincoln assassination. But as far as I, I never saw anybody claiming that he actually lived. I don't, I think to me, I witnesses. I'll tell you what, if, if you wanted to go dig Lincoln up and turn him into a vampire, good luck with that, because somebody tried to steal his body out of the crypt in Springfield after the war was over, and Robert Lincoln was so upset, he had Lincoln's body interred, stuck in a coffin that was wrapped in rebar and stuffed about 20 feet in the ground in Collin Creek, Florida. You will never get to the corpse of Abraham Lincoln the way that turned out. What, what were they trying to steal? Were there some sort of a political thing? This is... The best story, these drunk Irish counterfeiters in Chicago wanted to get their engraver out of jail. So I guess after they downed some major Guinness, decided, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down to Springfield. We're going to steal Lincoln's body, hide it in the Indiana dunes, and then ransom our bud getting out of jail. Oh, by the way, can we get some money while we're at it? And they actually tried it. They went into the, there was no guard around the the sarcophagus which was in the middle of Oakville cemetery they go in they start pulling the the coffin out but they didn't realize that it was a coffin inside another coffin with all this charlotte who weighed like 400 pounds like, oh my god this thing's really heavy and then the detectives went in and busted them for it and there's lincoln hanging half in half out of the sarcophagus and robert lincoln just went defcon one man so how are you ever going to keep this from happening again to make him happy they 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 buried him so far down that we'll never get him out. So yeah, wow, I've never heard that. That's crazy. I tell you what, dude, if they ever make a movie about that, I will totally come back on this again. Okay, that that's actually a thing. It actually is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. I tell my students that they're like open mouth. They're like, oh god, y'all, I'm not, I'm not making this up. I swear it happened. Wow. I mean, you think I hear of grave robbers and things, you know, they're stealing, they're stealing the valuable. You think of, especially, you know, ancient Egypt and stuff, the gold. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the funny thing is those guys didn't spend that much time in jail because at the end of the day, the only thing they could be prosecuted under was a law keeping people from stealing cadavers and selling them to hospitals and stuff for medical research. I mean, they, that's the only law they had back then. So I think these guys spent like a little bit of time in jail and left and then they, they got out again. So it really wasn't that big a deal except the Robert Lincoln went nuts, you know? I have a feeling there were some new laws that got added after that. Oh, well, yeah. Well, and then, and then they were so worried that somebody would come try it again. They didn't want to put his body back in the sarcophagus. So they figured out what to do. So they took the coffin back out, moved Lincoln's body to the basement of the sarcophagus and piled a bunch of lumber over top of it and hid it down there so for the next 
quite some time, tour groups would come in and the tour guide would point to the sarcophagus and say, there's the body of Abraham Lincoln when he was actually buried under a bunch of lumber, like like two stories down. Wow. We've talked about a lot, obviously, the, the vampire, the elephant in the room there. Um, but is there anything in the movie that you felt you're watching like, oh, I, that was spot on. Like this is this is incredibly accurate. Bits and pieces, you know, um, you know, the production values were really good. You know, I mean, I was, I was impressed. The, the scene where the, uh, they used CGI fairly well, I thought, uh, where they panned in on his first inaugural address. And there is the, uh, the Capitol Dome, which is half built, which is the truth. They hadn't put the dome, the dome one finished when they, when he gave the thing. I mean, they, they had an eye for detail for that. That scene is awesome. It's just like, Wow, that's really cool. And then Lincoln's Gettysburg Address was spot on. I mean, it's probably about what the whole thing looked like. I mean, so it's like bits and pieces. You kind of go, huh, not not bad over you. I would have, would have expected worse than this, you know. But but that's the whole thing about the movie, though. I mean, I, I was expecting a campy comedy at first. Okay, I was like, it's going to be like the, the Batman series on TV in the 1960s. All the crack, crack jokes about Adam West. And then this is like this deadly serious movie about all this stuff. And I got that thought, what the heck was that? You know, it was like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, I mean, it's not funny. It's not, there's nothing, there's not a single funny thing in this movie. On the other hand, the, 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 the visuals are really nice and the acting is actually quite good. And all the production values are great in the service of the story. You just, it's just weird, you know? So there it is. It's different. <laughs> You, you know what? You, you know, I, I actually read some of the reviews. It only has like a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. And people look at the reviews. They all kind of do the same thing. They're like, why was this even made? You know, why, what, what, what am I supposed to walk out of the theater thinking here? Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. The author that wrote that, I know he also wrote like a, another one called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So it's kind of his thing, it seems like. Hey, you know what? If you're a writer and find your niche, man, you go for it. Okay. You know? <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on to chat about Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. And for someone listening to this who wants to learn more about your work, can you share a bit about your books and, and where they can get them? I've written several books about Abraham Lincoln. The one I'm most well-known for, I suppose, insofar as I'm known at all, is uh, Lawyer Lincoln the Lawyer, which is a study of his law practice. Um, I've done works on various aspects of his life. The most recent one, uh, which I related to what we were talking about a little bit, um, it's called The Black Heavens, Abraham Lincoln and Death. And um, I kind of look at how Lincoln processed um, uh, death throughout his life, from the death of his mother, like we talked about, all the way through how he dealt with, you know, all these all the death of surrounding him during the war. Funny thing, when I wrote the book, I didn't, it didn't occur to me to include, you know, silver-tipped axes and people biting him in the neck. But you know what? If there's ever a second edition, man, I'm going to go do that vampire thing because this gets – this is awesome. <laughs> Wait, you're saying Lincoln didn't actually process death by just turning people into vampires or that wasn't his thing? In retrospect, it would have been a strategy. You know, it would have been a strategy. I, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> they live forever, so. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. This episode of Based on a True Story was produced by me, Dan LeFebvre. I'd like to thank Dr. Brian Dirk for sharing his expertise about the historical accuracy of 2012's Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. If you want to learn even more about the real Abraham Lincoln, check out Dr. Dirk's great books, including his most recent one, The Black Heavens, Lincoln and Death. As always, you can find links to his books in the show notes for this episode, as well as on the show's home on the web, based on a true story podcast.com. Okay, now it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. And as a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, Abraham Lincoln was almost involved in a sword fight. Number two, Abraham Lincoln really was a vampire hunter. Number three, after his death, some drunk Irish counterfeiters tried to steal Lincoln's body. Did you find out which one is a lie? Let's start with number one. Abraham Lincoln was almost involved in a sword fight. That is true. As Dr. Dirk explained, Lincoln almost had a duel with a man named James Shields. And the weapon that Lincoln picked for the duel was broadswords. Even though Lincoln trained with a sword for the duel, fortunately, it didn't happen. 
That brings us to number two. Abraham Lincoln really was a vampire hunter. That's the lie. Despite the premise of the movie, as we learned throughout this episode, Abraham Lincoln was not a vampire hunter, even though, as Dr. Dirk pointed out, there are reviews of the movie out there asking that very question. So, no, he was not a vampire hunter. That means number three is also true. After his death, some drunk Irish counterfeiters tried to steal Lincoln's body. Dr. Dirk shared the crazy story of how some drunk Irish counterfeiters in Chicago wanted to get their engraver out of jail, so they thought they could steal Lincoln's body and use it as ransom to get their friend out of jail. Last but not least, it's time now to let you know how long it took to create this episode. If you're a longtime listener to the podcast, you'll know I like to share this information just to help you appreciate all the podcasts that you listen to. After all, a huge majority of podcasts are like mine, completely free to listen to. But that does not mean they're free to create. Quite the opposite. They can cost a lot of money, but almost every podcast out there, even if it doesn't cost a lot of money, it costs a lot of time. The time it takes to learn the technical side, to research each episode, to record them, to edit them, and so on. I only have the stats for my own show. So with that in mind, today's episode took me 25 hours to create. And to make it clear, that is only my time. Dr. Dirk has spent years researching and gathering his expertise on Lincoln. So obviously it does not include any of that time. And to be more specific, that isn't even all of my time because that 25 hours is only the time it took for me to produce this one episode. It does not include all the time that I spend building and maintaining the Based on a True Story website, finding new guests, scheduling and the logistics of all that, the email newsletter, uh, social media, and all those other things that don't really have anything to do with making today's episode, but they're still required to make the podcast overall. In a nutshell, this podcast may be free to listen to, but it is not free to create. And that's why I'm so thankful for the sponsors whose ads you've heard in this episode. You can find more information about them over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash advertisers. But they're not the only ones helping to keep the show alive. There are wonderful people just like you who are helping to keep this show financially going. So if you found value in today's episode, and if you're using a Podcast 2.0 app, you can boost now. Otherwise, if you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you enjoyed it enough to share it with a friend and maybe even consider help to support the next episode over at based on a true story podcast.com slash support once again that's based on a true story podcast.com slash support until next time thanks so much for listening and i'll chat with you again really soon <laughs>